Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when his disciples came to him and asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? And instead of a date or an exact checklist, Jesus gave them a description of the future that was to come. He gave them warnings to heed about the temptations his people would face. And he gave them examples to follow to teach them how they should wait. He taught them that the Son of Man will arrive unexpectedly, that he will return in surprising glory at a time that nobody is able to predict. Like a servant who doesn't know when his master will be back to check on him, like a sheep who doesn't know when the shepherd will return, Jesus told his disciples that we can't prepare for him to return at a certain time. Instead, he instructed them to be ready for his return at all times. Our Savior made a promise. The dawn is coming. And our teacher gave us a warning. Are you ready? Well, I have already thoroughly entered in. Uh, I don't know about you, but just being able to worship our God this morning uh, just moved my heart and aligned my heart, my mind, my thoughts, uh, and hopefully my feet. And so we get to the privilege now uh, to go into the written word, study it, and be able to apply it to our lives. And so if you're new here this morning and you haven't been with us over the last uh, few weeks, we are teaching from a text in scripture known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a, it's a moment where Jesus did some teaching from the top of the Mount of Olives during the week that he was crucified and, and also resurrected. So this is approximately Tuesday during the Holy Week. And what had just happened is that he had been in the temple court area arguing with the with the having a, a robust debate debate if you will with the religious leaders of his day and as part of his frustration he acknowledges something that's going to happen and happen fairly soon is that the temple that was right near them that they could see was going to be destroyed and so as Jesus left. I'm sure that angered everybody there in the room, but even his disciples were troubled. And so as they're walking out of the, the, the city of Jerusalem, the disciples were asking him, uh, like saying, well, telling him, like, look at this building. It's amazing. Like the temple is beautiful. And Jesus says, no, there won't be a stone left on top of another. It will all be overturned. And this really troubled at their hearts. So they finally get to the top of Mount of Olives. They're able to look back on Jerusalem. Jesus takes a seat. And a couple of the disciples come over to him and said, Okay, Jesus, when will this happen to the temple? And what will be the signs of your coming? And so Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 answering those questions. When will the temple be destroyed and what will be the signs of his coming? You will also find that this same text is talked about in Luke chapter 21, which will be in that text today. So let's just pray that God will use this time together. Let's align our hearts to what Jesus would share with us uh, from this text. So Lord, we trust you. We acknowledge you as the, the true teacher and the one that we need to respond to. We anticipate your return. We just want to know what does it mean to live ready? What does that look like? And so God may use that to your glory here in this message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming forward right now. They would be glad to provide you one. Just simply put your hand up and they will give you a Bible. We also utilize uh, the YouVersion Bible app. And in that YouVersion Bible app, if you go to the events tab and you touch on that, it will give you several different churches that utilize that app. If you tap on LEFC, which is usually around the second church listed there, you tap on that, it'll give you all the passages we use today and even part of the outline. Uh, so feel free to use that at this time. Having said that, a little bit of review over what's happened in, these, in, the, in Jesus' response to uh, those disciples' questions. Uh, we've, we've heard what the signs are of his coming. And we'll repeat those here later in the sermon. We've also been told uh, that there's going to be a condition of the church that is going to be alarming. And, and that's going to also be shared later in this message. And it's also true that he does not tell us the specific day or the hour of his return. In fact, he even says only the Father knows when he's going to return. And last week we talked about that that's kind of a problematic question for us. How is it that Jesus could say, I don't know when I'm going to return. Only the Father knows that. That seems to be a theological conundrum for us because we believe that Jesus is one with the Father. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are in unity together. Yes, three separate persons, but they are all in the know, all owning uh, divine qualities. And so how is it that Jesus can say, I don't know, only the Father does. And so we provided a, a side video uh, that you could watch this past week to be able to uh, answer that question or at least how to approach it. And so hopefully you took advantage of that if you were here last week. But today's text, as we go into it, literally speaks to the aspect, okay, so in light of we have the signs of the times, we have, we're told about, you got to be careful who you're listening to, so what do we do now? If, we're, if we don't know the day or the hour, how do we live expectantly on a daily basis? And so if by the end of this message, you don't feel like you've been given any guidance on how you can live every day doing life as you always have done it, in the sense of you eat, you drink, uh, you sleep, you work, you play. How do we do those things expectantly that Jesus could come anytime? And so that's where we're going today. I'm going to begin in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 24. So here we go. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So there's our text for today. And again, I'll, I'll go to Luke 21 here in a little bit. And we're going to touch on Nehemiah chapter 4. But let me look at verse 42 to start. So after he's talked about that there are these signs that you have to look for to know that his coming is coming near. And some of those signs uh, might be fairly normal. And other signs might be a little bit more obvious. So let's look at what it means to, we are to live with anticipation and alertness until Jesus comes. All right, so that's our calling that Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are to live your life with anticipation and alertness until he comes back. 
So, what are we watching for? And he says, I've already given you these signs. So we're to watch for the signs. So let's go back over the signs for a moment. So last week, we were talking about, after speaking of a lot of these alarming signs, uh, there were signs given to us in the text just before, before verse 42. They're quite normal. It says that there are going to be people eating and drinking excessively and working as if nothing else is going to go on and that work is the most important thing they do. Tell me what season of life in the history of mankind that that statement is not always true. So it's not going to really stand out, particularly some of those things. However, what Jesus does speak is that those things will continue to become more and more excessive. Additionally, he talks about that there will be sickness that intensifies. Now, we just came through a pandemic, and there are statements to being a triple-demic coming up. Again, I know many of us because we can't always trust what we're being told. And there are things that were not exactly accurate going into the pandemic. But here's the reality. Jesus said sickness and severe sickness will intensify and increase as the time of the end arrives. So, if you're wanting to fight back against some of the misinformation and say there is no uh, sickness, just so you know, be careful how far you go with your conspiracy theory concerns. Because you might actually be speaking against something that Jesus says is going to happen more and more. Okay, so he mentioned sickness will intensify. It also says that wars will become more common. Again, wars have happened throughout the ages. But are they becoming more common and intensifying? I would make the case, yes, it is. And the wars are becoming more and more severe as to the amount of death. Nation will struggle against nation. He says that issue will only intensify. It's nothing new. The nations have come against each other. But it is intensifying, and Jesus says that will be a marker, again, as time is coming to the end, that my return will be near as these things intensify. Now, here's something that I find very interesting. Jesus also then goes in and spends more time describing these next two signs. And that is that there will be false teachers rising from within the church. And that the hearts of many in the church will grow cold. So that's, again, a sign that Jesus' is coming is near. So what is he saying there? And are we seeing it today? Well... What do false teachers do? They teach falsely that which is supposedly truth. And, they are, and it says they're going to come from within the church. Are we not seeing some of that today? Are churches choosing uh, to teach the word of God, that, that orthodoxy that has existed since the scriptures were given to us, are they not shifting away from it? As they discover that scripture is becoming more and more an exception to how society sees the world. Because the world is starting to struggle with some of the timeless truths that are written here. The church is wrestling with, well, we don't really like being so different from the rest of the world. And we don't like the rest of the world looking at us as, why are you so different? And maybe you got this wrong. Especially when they co-opt biblical terms like love. And commitment and judgment. 
Those kind of things are saying, how can you be judgmental? How can you say that God doesn't love? How can you not say that there aren't things that we're designed with? So those questions start finding seeds in the hearts of people as they doubt. What ends up happening, though, is the teachers began to struggle with this. And so when you don't hold to the word of God as being the authoritative word of God, you're left with saying the word of God is a good word. And it has many good truths. But not all of it is for today. And you're going to hear teachers saying that. In fact, as I shared when I was teaching on that portion of Matthew 24, that I've even had a local pastor tell me and other pastors that Jesus is a way, not the way. Therefore, questioning the exclusivity of Jesus. Is that what Jesus said? I'm a way? No, he said, I'm the way. And so we are now seeing the transition of the church where no longer is the word of God what teaches us how to think about society. We go from society which teaches us how to think and find scripture that might affirm that. That's backwards. And that's what's going to create the church to become an apostate church, a false church. And Jesus says that will grow in intensity as time goes on, especially as we come nearer to my return. So Jesus said that. Then he also says, as a result of people doing life, and we're going to find from Luke 21 how I think that when, it, when Jesus says, the hearts of many in the church will grow cold, how does that happen? If you're in the church and you're truly part of the church, how does your heart grow cold? And I think Luke 21 is going to point us to that, where Luke accounts for more than what Jesus said in that point, of, of saying what causes us to grow cold in our hearts. So we'll look at that here a little bit in the sermon. But ultimately speaking, we're called to live in anticipation and alertness of Jesus' coming. So until he comes, we're always watchful, we're always alert, and these signs tell us, open your eyes be aware, the time is coming. And these signs will only increase in measure. Let's continue on in the text, verse 43. It says, but understand this. Because again, Jesus is wanting to make sure, how do we grasp this? How do we live this out on a daily basis of being watchful because we don't know when the Lord will come back? So how do we stay watchful? And he says, understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So Jesus is using an analogy here where an owner of a house somehow finds out about some thieves or robbers are coming to rob the home. If you knew that to be the case, what would you do? You would prepare yourself so that they wouldn't be successful. And so what Jesus is saying here, we are to live each day with no regrets of being prepared. We're to live each day with no regrets of being prepared because we're always living prepared. Because Jesus says, if you knew what time I would come, you would live prepared. Now, if you knew that your house was going to be broke into, and at what time, what would you do? I've got a video for you that captures this moment pretty well. Okay, we'll check it out first. We can always come back for the truck. 
do you want to go in? We'll go to the back door. Maybe he'll let us in. You never know. Yeah. He's a kid. Kids are stupid. Bless his highly nutritious microwave, more macaroni and cheese dinner, and the people are sold in on sale. Amen. Don't get scared now. <laughs> we had an argument when we were talking about this. When do you end this? Because, I mean, most of us have seen this movie and it's just like, oh, keep going, because it gets even better. But then I would have to give all kinds of caveats if your child's too young to see what happens next and all that. So we stopped it there. But you get the point. He knew that they were going to come and rob his house at 9 o'clock. So he had booby-trapped his entire house, which makes the movie. He booby-traps the whole entire house so that he can protect them and keep the house intact and from them coming in. That's what he did. So now I pose the question back to you. If you knew your house was going to be broken into, and you knew at what time, what would you do to prepare yourself for that so that your house would not be broken into? And I kind of did this exercise for myself, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, I'd pray, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> give me wisdom on how to handle this. Also, then I would be like, okay, I would make sure that my family was not home. I would light up my entire house like a Christmas tree, I tell all my neighbors to turn their lights off and get their, their phones out to record what happens at my house at that time. I probably should call the cops and I would make sure that I had plenty of self-defense options near me. And you can decide what those things might be. But the point is, none of us know when we're going to be robbed, right? And Jesus knows that. None of us know when we're going to be robbed, and that's what the point is. He says we should keep watch, we should be alert at all times, as if we knew we were going to be robbed, and what preparations you would do so that whenever it happens, your house will be fine. That's the kind of spirit that Jesus says is required for daily living in regards to his coming. We don't know when his coming is going to happen, but we should live our life that regardless of when he comes, we're good for it. That he can come and we're ready to go. But therein is the challenge, isn't it? What does readiness look like? Because in verse 44, it says, So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So what does living ready look like? So I want us to go to Luke chapter 21. So if you can go there with me. Luke chapter 21. So it's just to the right a little bit. We're going to be in verse uh, 34 to 36. Again, same moment, same occasion that Matthew 24 and 25 is, is Luke 21. So what Matthew did not include in the conversation, Luke does. So verse 34, Jesus says, Be careful 
or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day, his return, and his return will close in on you suddenly like a trap. Again, if you're carousing, you're acting in drunkenness, or your anxieties are all about life, the return of Christ will feel like a trap. Verse 35, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth, both believer and non-believer, and be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So I believe what Jesus says here is that living daily, being ready, requires prayer, commitment to, and application of God's purposes for your life. If you're living out God's purposes of your life, then it does not matter when he comes. It will happen and you'll be prepared because you're doing his work. Now, in this, it tells you what would cause you to be unprepared. And so you can take the opposite from it. So in verse 34, it says, be careful. So it's speaking to his disciples. So his followers, it says, be careful lest your hearts be weighed down by carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. You see, I think what happens is that as we work, as we sleep, as we eat, as we drink, as we interrelate, we're more about the experience for ourselves and those things that are good things, but we make the aim about our own experiences and, and making everything better for our own sake that it becomes your burden, your work, your burden, your family, your burden, the things that you have to do to sustain yourself, your burden, your playtime. I mean, the reality is we let the things of this world that are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but when they take an inappropriate level of values in our life, they become something that becomes your anxieties. Why do you think our society is so anxiety-driven? So much of it, not all of it necessarily, but so much of it is rooted in misplaced values and purposes. We sleep and eat and drink to our own pleasure with no purpose behind it other than experiencing the fun of it. We work just so that we can provide the ability to play. What if, what if we flipped this on his head, which I believe is what Jesus is teaching. What if we did our sleeping, our eating, our drinking, our working, and our leisure to serve God's greater purposes? What if? Then our burdens would no longer be about those items, would it? Our burdens would become the burdens of God. And what's his burden? I've given you another day to proclaim my name before people that need to hear him. Not only here, but across the world. All people, all places. And if we become burdened for that, then we're going to apply it. And therefore, what's upon God's heart is upon our heart. And so whenever God chooses to send Jesus to come back, we're good with it. Because we're aligned with his works. So if we're pursuing life's opportunities to the pleasure of God, then our purposes as we sleep, and as we eat and we drink and we work and we play and we relate, is all to give God glory. 
So we then talk about things like when I'm doing my play thing, like when I go and golf, because I love to golf. And when I go golfing, sometimes I'm golfing with people who have burdens. Lord, how can I use this to benefit them to understanding you more? And still get a golf. That's a good thing, right? We're all going to spend time with families here in the next few weeks, and we're going to gorge ourselves with turkey, stuffing, and pumpkin pie, mashed potatoes with some gravy on it. Making you hungry, right? But what if we approach that Thanksgiving meal, still getting to do it, but having prayed up and say, God, is there somebody at that table that I sit with that I can be a blessing to and point them to Jesus a little bit more than what they knew the day before? Because your burdens are God's burdens, not just for your own pleasure. So I believe what I, what I see here is a pattern that Jesus speaks to about what it means to be ready. And that pattern, I believe, is similar to what Nehemiah gives his people that he's leading and rebuilding Jerusalem. So to give context, because I don't have time to read it all, but in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah has been sent by the king of Babylon back to, again, back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. And so he's rebuilding Jerusalem with the permission of the king. And as he's rebuilding, some of the old adversaries of Israel start showing up. All the neighboring small nations are like, hey, did you hear Jerusalem's being rebuilt? Yeah, some guy in Nehemiah is doing it. And that's a threat because in all their history books, they know that the nation of Israel was a nemesis to them. Many of them used to be great nations and now are small because of Israel. So they didn't like Jerusalem being rebuilt. Word of this gets to Nehemiah. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah prays. He prays. He starts off with prayer. And then he's like, okay, now that I've prayed and we're trusting in God, we also have to be prepared and we need to watch. So he has half the people watching and half the people building because they don't know when the adversary might show up. And then it even says those who are building had the tool in one hand, the tool to rebuild the walls, and their sword in the other hand. So even they were ready that at any moment, if the enemy came, they were ready to do battle. He closes in verse 23 saying that they even ate, drank, and slept with their weapon at their side. So it did not matter whenever the enemy would come, they'd be ready to defend Jerusalem. That kind of readiness Regardless of whatever's going on in your life, they were working, they were interrelating, they were spending time as families, all of that's in that text, but all the time they were ready for whenever the enemy would come. So Jesus tells us that we're to be ready all the time, which means that if we're walking with him and we're serving his purposes, it's like having the sword at our side, always ready that if an enemy came, we could defend so I believe what I've discerned is a pattern from Nehemiah and from what Jesus is teaching about preparedness. And so I'm going to call this the steps to living ready for Jesus' return. All right? The steps to living ready for Jesus' return. First step is this. You begin each and every day in prayer. Begin each and every day in prayer because prayer will lead to purpose. If you begin your day praying, Lord, today I know I've got to go to work. And there's this particular person I have to work with 
that's going through a hard time. How can you use me in their life? Or God, I've got to go to work and I have to work once again another day with this person I do not like working with. God, how can I begin to show Jesus to somebody I don't even enjoy? Or God, at the end of this day, I have a family meal and, and one of my family members is really struggling right now. God, what does that meal look like knowing that issue? If we begin each day with prayer, it will lead to the purposes of God because now we're aligning our heart with him. And if we know and are leaning towards the purposes of God, then number two comes into play. Purpose, if we're purposefully living as prayer leads us into, will lead us to preparedness. Because if we're living out the, the purposes of God, then it doesn't matter to us when Jesus returns because we're serving his purposes. And he will come at an hour we don't know and be like, great, you were doing exactly what I wanted all the way to the end. So prayer leads to purpose. Purpose leads to preparedness. And preparedness, it leads to excitement. It leads to excitement for Christ's return because we are ready. Why is it that much of the church does not live with excitement about the idea of Christ's return? I believe it's this. Because I believe that living for Christ daily means that we welcome that return. We don't fear it. If we're not living for him, our purposes aren't aligned to, towards him, we're not praying about our days with him, then our preparedness is lower and therefore we're going to fear his return. Because if he showed up, as Jesus says, it's going to feel like a trap to you. You feel, you feel caught is that how the return of Jesus is supposed to feel? That you feel like you got caught in a trap? Exposed and now vulnerable? No. I believe we often lack excitement or desire for his return because we are not ready since our burdens lie elsewhere. I think our burdens, because of being Americans, is based on Happiness pursuit, not purpose pursuit. And anxiety builds because happiness is fleeting. And when your burdens are all earthly based, then his return becomes a horrific moment. Because what have you built? You've built an earthly possession. And his return will not be something that you're going to be welcoming. Jesus says, if you pray, my purposes will be upon your heart. And if my purposes are upon your heart, then you're going to be prepared. And it doesn't matter when I come. And then on top of that, preparedness will cause you to actually welcome the idea of my coming. The fourth step is this. I believe that each and every day, because of what he says in Matthew 24, 14, and also what Peter says, that he's not slow in coming because he wants more to come to him each and every day. I believe that each day gives us the opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Does that sound familiar to you? That's because in the instructions for communion, of which we're going to take here in a moment, Paul says this, and it'll be on the screen. For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now let's read verse 26 together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion has an end date as a sacrament. Because when we come face to face with the, with the return of Christ, we no longer need something to remember him. We have him right there. He embodies the cross with the marks in his, his hands and his feet and the, and the mark in his side. And we'll see the cross manifested before us. The need for communion as a sacrament is no longer. So we're given today. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Not because we have things we need to accomplish in our family. Not because we have things we need to accomplish in our workforce and our careers. Not because we have some playful things we want to do next week. No, he hasn't come yet because there's more that need Jesus that he wants to reach. So how can we not say? The final step is if we are praying, we'll get purpose. If we have purpose, we'll be prepared. If we are prepared, we'll have excitement. And with that excitement, we have the opportunity to keep proclaiming that he died for us so that he can save us from the penalty of our sins and have hope for eternal life with God the Father because of his, self, his sustaining work that he did on the cross, that work of grace. So let's prepare our hearts now for communion because proclamation happens when we take this together. It tells the world that we rely upon a death that happened 2,000 years ago to pay for our sins past, present, and future. And it is our hope by which we look forward to that whenever this life ends here on this earth, whether by the coming of Christ or our death, we know what lies next because of Jesus. If you do not have the cup with you because you didn't grab on your way in, the ushers have some with them right now. I wanted to make sure nobody was left out. If you're a child of God, you're welcome to take communion with you, with us, because we're going to proclaim the Lord's death, because he hasn't come yet. Now I'm going to give you some time to prepare your heart, and I would like you to ask the Lord, what does it mean in your life to proclaim the Lord's death each and every day until he comes? Reflect upon that as we prepare our heart for communion. As this text says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Sometime later, at that same table, Judas is still sitting there. All his disciples are still sitting there. 
They can feel the gravity of the moment, but they don't understand fully why. Then Jesus' next words cuts through like a spear. And he says, this cup is filled with the fruit of the vine. This is my blood, which is shed for you as a new covenant, an all-sustaining covenant, a perfect blood, not a temporal sacrifice, but a permanent one. This blood will be for you. Let's drink now, grateful for that act. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for faithfulness, obedience. And thank you for giving us purpose to why we live and have this day. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together in this month of Thanksgiving. Let's sing a song of thankfulness to our God.
So I was given a mantra when I was 18 years old about how to approach life. And this mantra was this. Be ready to preach, pray, sing, or die in a moment's notice. And let me tell you, I've had to live by that mantra many times where things happen and I didn't expect. But that's what preparedness looks like, is that regardless of what happens, you're prepared to do whatever God is having happen in that moment and to participate with him. And so this is an invitation to you to begin each day to pray. It's like, Lord, align my purposes to you this day. And then when that, we have that, preparedness comes, and so does excitement. And then it gives us opportunity to proclaim him every day that we can. And so having said that, I felt like the best way to close the service is to say the Lord's Prayer together. And so if you know the Lord's Prayer, you'll know that it points to something greater. And so it says this, and we're going to do this together, and it's going to be on the screen in the King James Version. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. May his kingdom come. So if you would like to talk with someone, we'll have people in the encounter room to be glad to talk with you. I also want to make a personal invitation on Wednesday night to help us again be more prepared. We're continuing our apologetic series where we're answering questions, how to live out the gospel in difficult situations. So this coming Wednesday night, 6.30 here in this room, uh, Dr. Mark Farnham is going to be sharing how we can engage having conversations with people who struggle with gender issues and sexuality issues and how we can share that without starting with us being a hate group. And because and, that might be the lens. So how can we disarm that and actually be able to speak the good news of Jesus Christ in those conversations? So that'll be this coming Wednesday night at 6.30 here in this room. Having said that, we have concluded with the best words possible to pray. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth, right? Yes. Amen. Go in peace.